I just looked it up. She's been on the show four times in the 200 and some odd episodes of this podcast, which means evidently every 50 episodes or so, I need to get a refill of my diesel tanks by having my friend Melanie Diesel on. And that's what we're doing here today. We're going to do a podcast recording. And so I hope you'll stick around. And if you're interested, go ahead and type a comment below this live stream. And perhaps if you've got a question, I'll be able to ask it of Melanie. And I would love to hear from you, especially where you're coming from, because it's always a delight when I find out that somebody outside the United States of America is actually paying attention to what we have to say. So all that said, Melanie Diesel, you've been on this podcast four times for a reason. And I'll tell you what that reason is. Longtime listeners to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast will recognize your name, but not only that, but your smart take on how to put yourself out there in the world using the best of what I would call your journalistic background, but also the way you've taken that journalistic point of view and turned it into a marketing practice, if you will, practice and philosophy. And you may not know this, Melanie. I, I think you may have gleaned this or I may have said it because I say it all the time. I love to say branding's job number one is differentiation. All the way back when cowboys were branding cows so I could tell you which brown cow is mine and which is yours, branding was always about differentiation. But I love to say that job two of branding is demonstration. Now, why am I making such a big deal about this? Because I obviously choose differentiation and demonstration for the nice alliteration of those two terms. But Melanie's kind of messing with my mojo by turning demonstration into another word, and that is proof or proving it. In fact, the latest book she's come out with is called Prove It, exactly how modern marketers earn trust. So we're clearly on the same page, although we have different vocabulary. I call it demonstration. You call it proving it. When you say that marketers earn trust by proving it, what do you actually mean? What I really mean is that we've never had more skeptical audiences than we have right now. So a study from Edelman came out just a few days ago that showed that 59% of customers and of audience members, like they default to distrust. So what that means is that we are working in an environment where our audience doesn't trust us by default. And that means that it, the onus is on us to prove that we are some of the folks worthy of their trust. There's a lot of folks out there trying to scam them or, or rip them off. And, you know, they have no reason to, to believe that we are not one of them. So it's our job to, to bring that proof forward so that we can earn that trust. Oh, I could not agree with you more because I've always been advertising and marketing agnostic, even though I work in advertising and marketing, mainly because I know what advertising and marketing is, which is it takes a product or a service and spins it or polishes it as well as it possibly can to present the truth of what that brand is and maybe even stretching some of that truth. And because I'm aware of that, I am really, really skeptical. And I, w I just want to prove your thesis statement there by saying, when I buy on Amazon, first thing I do is I go to the reviews of a given product and then I look for the verified buyers of that product. And then even then, I don't believe the actual <laughs> comments placed there because there are companies that actually monetize that for brands and stuff like yeah. that. So I've always got these skeptical blinders on about everything. 
And what you're talking about, I think, is not about taking that truth of your product and buffing it up to a high shine and putting it out there. You're actually saying, let's demonstrate, let's prove our value in the market. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly right. I obviously, with my marketing background, I'm really coming at it from a how can you show it? How can you demonstrate it? How can you show it? My personal opinion is that content is one of the best ways to do that. But you you mentioned our, our vocabulary here with demonstration. And in the book, I talk about three types of content that work particularly well as proof of your business claims to earn that trust. And demonstration is one of the types of content. So I think we're actually on the same page here. Go into that deeper because... Again, when I say demonstration, it's it's kind of like a, a prime idea, a, a first level idea, a first principle idea of what marketing and even storytelling is about. You've got to demonstrate the qualities of a character or the truth of your characters and the lives they lead, the situations they're in. If you're a novelist, you've got to demonstrate that. You can say all day long that a character is, you can describe them one way, but if they act a different way, the audience doesn't believe or what I like to say is they don't buy the, the talk. They want to see the walk. So when you say demonstration, you clearly have a deeper definition or a more precise definition than perhaps I do. I would love to hear you describe what demonstration is, especially in the context of your whole kind of prove it methodology. Yeah. So the, the prove it methodology is, is essentially that any claim you are making as a business, as an entity, as a brand needs to be backed up by proof and you need to put that proof forward for them your audience to be able to see it and basically to believe that claim that you're making so every claim should be paired with proof and like i said i talk about three different types of content that work particularly well as proof demonstration being one of them so when i talk about demonstration typically what i'm saying is either stories or documentation so that's kind of the the two types that i think fall into that demonstration bucket is the documentation and stories. So stories we're all familiar with. It's the idea of, listen, I'm telling you that it's convenient, but now I'm going to tell you the story of a customer that we had and how we provided a really convenient experience and talk about how much time they saved and talk about how wonderful it was to work with us and how simple and easy the process was. So I'm telling you a story that really demonstrates that claim that we're convenient, that it we're easy to work with. You can also provide documentation, which is sort of like a, let them see it with their own eyes. The best example of that, I think, is to think of infomercials, right? So every infomercial, they always say, you know, our product absorbs five times more water or cleans, you know, 15 times better or whatever they say. But they always follow it up with the split screen, right? And they've got one product on one side and one product on the other. And they show them doing the same action, dunking it into the solution or cleaning whatever it is. And you can see with your own eyes documentation that this is how this product works compared to this other one. And sure, there's always going to be some level of distrust that maybe there's Photoshop or editing or something, but they're putting forth that effort to say, we're not just going to tell you it works this way. We're actually going to document it. We're going to document how it works and demonstrate to you so you can see it with your own eyes. So those are the, the ones that I'm calling on when I talk about content that demonstrates is either telling stories so that they can see that story unfold or documenting how something works so they can see it work with their own eyes. It sounds like you're almost dividing things for almost different audiences or maybe different audience stages. For example, the storytelling is great for engaging the heart and the, the emotional side of your brain. The demonstration is great for the engineer part of your brain that really wants to see that metrics or prove it to me by if it's 25% better, how does that benefit me? Things like that. So is that 
part of your thinking that you need to kind of think of a message both from the point of view of an audience of engineers and an audience of emotionally charged human beings who are, I like to say there are two types of people in the world, engineers and everybody else, because engineers <laughs> will quantify everything down to the nanosecond where everybody else buys based on emotions like, oh, I love that color. I need that. An engineer might go, well, that color is not very effective when it comes to reflecting sunlight. So if you're looking at something that needs to actually keep you cool, that would be an ineffective thing. So you really are taking two bites and an apple when you demonstrate via those two modalities. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily the wording that I would have used. I didn't necessarily set out to say, like, here's how we do it for the engineer brains and here's how we do it for, for everybody else. But it's sort of this acknowledgement that different types of claims will probably lend themselves to different types of proof. And also that different stages of the buying journey would lend themselves to different types of proof. Different industries may rely on one type of proof more than another. So, you know, you think about documentation, there's a lot of industries where you have to produce inspections or reports or audits and things like that, that are the documentation that you're, you know, you're fulfilling that, that promise, you're meeting expectations. Other industries may not rely so heavily on that type of documentation. Like you don't have to bring quite as much technical uh, documentation for that kind of that kind of proof for a claim like that. So it's really just to give the flexibility to say that there are lots of different approaches you can take with your content when you're trying to create proof of a claim and trying to help your audience understand that the claims you're making are true and that you want to have all these as like tools in your tool belt to be able to pull out whichever one is right for that problem, that audience, that particular claim at that time. So what you're saying is it's not either or, it's both. And one oh, of the yeah. things that I want to key off of is you said the, the buyer's journey or the buying journey or something like that, or what I might call a transaction path. A lot of people who I talk to, I always like metaphor or analogy because that's the way my brain works, right? And something that I always try to impress on people is there's the difference between a, a first date communication and a 15th date or a fifth date. Because job one yeah. of a first date is to get a second date, period, the end. And <laughs> the way you do that is with a nice smile, a great laugh, maybe you look really good, you smell good, you drive a nice car, all of these things. That, that's that storytelling part, which is, oh, I'm so enthralled. And then a couple of dates in, you start going, well, wait a minute. You say that you've done all these things. I would like you to prove it because you need to overcome my skepticism. And consequently, it shifts from storytelling to demonstration. And that doesn't mean it just stays in the demonstration mode. It bops back and forth. And especially if you want to have a good relationship, and again, let's strain this dating analogy as far as it can possibly go. Even if you get married, you had better have first date style nights. Otherwise, you're not going to have that long lifetime relationship that hopefully both of you desire. So it, it really is a, a you got it's not either or it truly is both. Can you give us an example of a company or a product or service you may have worked with and how you kind of worked both? types of demonstration as you went through a, a buyer's journey? Yeah. So, you know, it's always, it's always tough. A lot of my clients that I work with are, are under NDA and I'm not able to share the specifics of, of what we do together. But I can tell you that I've worked with a SaaS company, you know, so they're in a B2B space and there tends to be even more skepticism in the B2B space, typically because 
they're much higher priced purchases, right? If you're signing on to like an enterprise SaaS system, we're talking tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not quite the same level of skepticism you might need to like choose a loaf of bread at the farmer's market or something. So we want to try in those situations where we know we're up against particularly like, a lot of skepticism and a lot of fear, we want to try to call on as many different types as we can. So they had some comparability or comparability claims that they were making versus competitors. So we did some demonstration type content to show that, to say, you know, here's talking about simplicity. That's a simpler experience. We showed side-by-sides of onboarding experiences, for example, to say like, look at all these forms, all the things you have to fill out, all these fields, whereas look at our onboarding, it's much simpler. There were some convenience claims that were about the number of integrations that we made. So how many different you know services they could integrate with. Obviously, you want to make sure that you're, you're giving all of that sort of data when they're making that kind of decision. And so some educational content was actually really helpful in that case to show here's the different types of integrations you may want to make. And here are all the options available under each of those different types of integrations. So we covered the educational and the demonstration content, but we also did a lot of corroboration content. So we were saying plenty of great things about ourselves, but anyone can do that. And anyone who's selling to you hopefully is doing that. So it was really helpful for us to be able to call on some experts in the space who could attest to the value that a service like hours would provide. And then to be able to pull in past customers and and current clients as well to give testimonials and share their stories of how effective the product was, how much time they were saving, of their ability to connect with all those services that they wanted to connect with from an integration standpoint. So really trying to look at how we could prove it in different ways and how we could address those different types of claims with different types of proof. I think that's great. And I love the fact that you picked the B2B example. Software as a service is a a really interesting area to have to play in because you need to do both. You need to tell the story of how this is going to make your life easier. You need to also say, and it integrates with this framework, this framework, this framework. It fits your software stack. It integrates with the services you're already using, whatever that is. And this is a shout back to another book you wrote, The Content Fuel Framework which is a really great book, especially for professional or even semi-professional social media managers or content creators, because it was really a, how do I get out of the rut of doing the same stuff? Well, there's a framework for that. And Melanie came up with it. And I can't recommend that book highly enough. Again, the name of the book is The Content Fuel Framework by Melanie Diesel. And you can find that on the old Amazon.com. Highly recommended. Check that out. That was kind of a how-to framework. This is what I'm getting from reading Prove It is there's a little philosophical layer that helps inform the how-to framework of content fuel framework. So if, if you're out there and you're in the space where you have to do social media on a regular basis, get both of those books, The Content Fuel Framework and Prove It by the lovely and talented Melanie Diesel. Hey, I want to shout out to Alex Austin. Refill the diesel tank. Great to see you both. Exciting to catch this live. Now, I happen to know that Alex is all the way from Sydney, Australia. So I really appreciate hearing from the thunder down under, Alex Austin. Thank you so much. And if you've got any questions, be sure to shout those out. But again, Melanie, can you talk how the Content Fuel Framework book and the Prove It book work together to kind of dovetail philosophy with practice? Yeah, absolutely. So... In many ways, Prove It is actually kind of born out of the content fill framework. So, you know, with the first book, the goal was try to make 
people feel confident that they could come up with as many ideas as they needed for sort of whatever purpose they might have. And so, you know, luckily we started to get really good feedback from folks that this was successful. But the natural next question that many of them had was, well, how do I then choose what what to focus on? How do I know which content is going to be most impactful? How do I know which content should be my priority? And so that's kind of where the Prove It framework comes in, because my general recommendation was always, well, what's most important to your business and what's most important to your customers? And so rather than just giving that vague answer, you know, I'm one for a framework. I, I love a methodology. I love an acronym. So I really went to work trying to figure out, you know, how do we how do we put something more actionable together so that we're able to give people like next steps, you know, things that they could really do themselves to be able to take that next step and say, here's my ideas. And now I'm looking at what's important to my business and who I want my audience to see me as and what they want them to trust me for. Let me choose the content that best fits that methodology. I want to calibrate our conversation a little bit toward the the central tent pillar of the Not Fiction Brand podcast, which tends to be right around small business or especially personal branding, because I'm a believer in what Mark Schaefer likes to say, the personal brand is the company brand. Totally believe that, especially if you have a company or a service or anything that has less than 50 employees. Because let's face it, right now, I'm sorry, we're seeing a meltdown of a brand because it's owned by a guy named Elon Musk who is driving like a drunk 16-year-old. And I'm not here to litigate him and what he's going on, but his personal brand, and it is the Elon Musk personal brand, has taken over the Twitter brand. Now, even those of us who know who at Jack is, at Jack was never really the personality of Twitter. Well, Twitter 2.0 is now completely Elon Musk for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And let's not litigate that. Other than to say, yes, see what I mean about the personal brand is the company brand? Perfect example right there. But let's let's put this in terms of small business of that is truly owned by a person. Your name is on the door. Your products are you. Your best representative is you or family members or people who are very close to you. When doing this duality of telling your story and demonstrating the truth of it, how does that work? How can I use that as an individual? Because I think people get stuck on the one, but not necessarily including the other. I think they work really well together. I think one of the things I tried to do with Prove It is to really make it so that you can apply this sort of thought process, no matter your business type or your industry or, you know, even like in your personal life, you know, you're trying to sell something to your boss. You got to bring the proof. You have to show why it's important, earn their trust that this is the right decision. to. So hopefully it has more universal application than just particularly like a marketing strategy for B2B SaaS companies or something. But really, I think what it comes down to is understanding what is it that you want your audience to know or believe about you, because that's really going to help determine what you need to prove. So coming back to our example that we said we're not going to come back to, the challenge I imagine is that Twitter has an established brand that this is what they wanted people to believe, that it was a place for free speech, but that you were protected from harassment and trolls and bots, that it was a place for up to the minute news information, that it was a place, you know, they had this list of like, what do we want people to believe about us? And they were doing their best with features and, and, and benefits to try to make sure that they were fulfilling those promises. I think what Elon Musk personally has as his list of what do I want people to know and believe about me is very different 
from Twitter's list. And that's where we're seeing like those things come into conflict that, you know, he's more concerned perhaps about his own personal perception that he wants to be seen as as intelligent or he wants to be seen as like an advocate for free speech and really like cracking down on the wokeness or, you know, whatever, what, however he would define that. And so those things are coming into conflict. I think hopefully in most cases, if we are running our own personal brand, if we are a small company, like you said, where it's sort of undifferentiated, we're sort of a disregarded entity for tax purposes, if you will, usually those things are more aligned. And if they're not aligned, that's probably a sign that you need like a different type of book about finding your purpose or something. You know, hopefully if you're dedicating your life to this brand or a line of work, you're coaching, you're consulting, you're speaking, whatever it is, then it is something that you feel aligned with and that there is an ability to tell your personal story and bring proof of your background, your experience, your passion about this area, how competent you are at this particular thing while also filling those very same points and goals for the brand itself or, you know, the product or service or broader offering. So I hope that most of us won't run into such sort of a mismatch between the content we would need to create as proof of our personal claims and the content we would need to create as proof of our brand. Yeah, that that's a really good point. And I was thinking about it as you were talking that I think a lot of what we would consider influencers who are personal brands they do a lot of the storytelling, but they don't do a lot of the demonstration. And that's not universal, but they lean heavily on the feel emotional about me and everything I'm doing, as opposed to, yes, I'm telling you that story. Here's the bona fides on this. And there are a couple of brands that immediately came to my mind. One is a photographer named Austin Mann, and he is a travel photographer, uh, you know, just does incredible scenic stuff all over the world. And I love his stuff. But one of the things I love that he's put out about him, his personal brand, is he always does an in-depth review of the latest iPhone camera. So much so that Apple has recognized that and hired him to go out and shoot this stuff with the new camera so he can put out his review the week it comes out. And it's nice. in-depth and it is both telling the story of the camera, which is, oh my God, beautiful scenics. I've never seen Iceland look so good. But then he's also talking about pixels and the size of files and how easy it is to deal with them and all the technical stuff that geek photographers yeah. want to know about. But it, it's, it's, he's serving up that sandwich, which is, oh my God, that looks fantastic. And I want to see the guts. Let's get into the detail down to the pixel yeah. count and stuff like that. So I love that. And again, Austin Mann is a personal brand that is now globally recognized for exactly what he does, which is tell a beautiful photographic story and back it up with that deep metrics-oriented engineering demonstration. Another brand that I think you know is Andy Crestadina. Now, I love this guy because every time he opens his mouth, he's like an oracle about all things digital, but not in a, a number cruncher way. He's the head of Orbit Media Studios in Chicago, Illinois. And every time he sends out an email, even though I'm not a let's get down to the, the nanoseconds on, you know, click through rates and stuff like that, I still want to know what he's doing because... The way he serves that up is such great storytelling. 
tons of graphs and they aren't generic graphs. They are very, what I would call social science, liberal arts style graphs, which is I'm telling the big picture with enough detail for the engineers in the audience, but not enough to scare away the visually oriented learners who just need to see, oh, it's trending up. There's a difference. You know, I don't need to know as much as a, a scientist, but I need to know a, enough depth there. And Andy, because he's such a fantastic demonstrator of his products and services, has always made me go, boy, if I ever had a chance to hire him and his company to build a website for my thing I'm doing, I'd do it in a heartbeat because he has proved to me, he has proved it over and over and over that not only could they do a great technical job, but that he understands the human interface necessary to make a great website happen. And so those are two personal brands right there, one of which is a true personal brand, his own company, Austin Mann, look him up, M-A-N-N. Highly recommend you check out the latest iPhone, what is it, iPhone 14 thing that he did. And Andy Prestodina, D-R-E-S-T-O-D, as in David, I-N-A. Andy Crestadina, get on his email list if you have anything to do with websites or digital marketing, because you'll be so inspired and you'll get a great demonstration of exactly what Melanie's talking about. He tells a story in a really beautiful way and he backs it up with all the data and metrics and how to and you name it that you can possibly think of. Melanie, if I were forced you to point to a person, place or thing, any type of brand that's doing a great job of exactly what you're talking about in the book, Prove it. Can you point to any specific? So there's, oh my gosh, there's so many good ones that, that I would love to point to. There is, in the book I talk about, I give an example of, it's a local engine cleaning shop, I, you know, an auto body type shop but for professionals. They clean the engine blocks inside of cars, right? So you would, it's like a specialty shop. I'm a little out of my depth here from a technical understanding standpoint, but hopefully you're getting, you're getting the general, the general picture. They're a very technical shop. They have sort of a, a factory-like experience in their shop, but they create some fantastic YouTube content that walks through the processes that they do there. So it's very like how it's made behind the scenes kind of style of following around, not massive production value. Like this is probably iPhone footage. I don't know for sure, but it could be. And just kind of showing the different equipment pieces in the shop, how they work. You know, they have videos about each process and why they do things a certain way and how that's different than some of their competitors. But the, the YouTube content that they have is just really fantastic. It's educational in nature, but in being so educational, it is some of the best proof of their competence that they could really put out. You know, they're showing instead of just telling people like we know what we're doing, they're showing you, they're walking you through the process, they're showing you their equipment, they're letting you behind the scenes. So it's got the documentation, it's got education. And when you when you look at the comments from, you know, their customers, or even folks just watching, there's tons of corroboration there that's just saying, like, I wish my local shop was like this, or like, that's really incredible, or I've never seen it get so clean. You know, you see all kinds of backup from other professionals from experts in the field saying like, this is really stellar stuff, they're doing incredible work. So it's a it's a local brand, which I, you know, I love to, to do that instead of call out Starbucks doesn't need any more praise or Apple or, or Oreo, you know, 
So it's uh, always good to see a, a smaller brand kind of leaning into their expertise and creating content that, that helps prove their point. And the proof is in the pudding, not for the guys with the multi-million dollar marketing campaigns who can literally force you to buy something. The proof in the pudding is for the people who don't have a budget or have very little budget, have very little time, have very little bandwidth, and yet they find a way to take what they have and leverage it in a powerful way. And I love the example you used because I was talking to a longtime listener of this podcast, Finn, out in Colorado. I told you I was going to name drop you. And she was saying, I don't, I, I like listening to your podcast, but really I'm not a personal brand. And I'm going, yeah, you are. And I want to prove it to you. And Melanie just did, because I'm not saying, Finn, that you're cleaning engines out in Colorado, but whatever you do, you can demonstrate what you do and you can tell stories about what you do that are valuable not only to the company you're working for, but valuable to you for crying out loud. So just today, our good friend, or was it yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg just laid off 11,000 people. 11,000, not 1,100, 11,000 people just got laid off. Before that, Twitter had gotten rid of what? Uh, between 3,000 and 4,000 people. These are highly paid individuals who were highly sought after when there, were, there was a whole lot of activity going on in Silicon Valley as people try to take advantage of the, the, us all being stuck in our homes. Everybody needed engineers, everybody needed marketers, everybody needed writers and art directors and you name it. Yeah, they don't need you so much. If you did not build a personal brand before this happened to you, you better be on it right now because you are, if you are like me, a copywriter or writer-based entity. If I had not built my reputation as a writer before some things happened to me, I would have been dead in the water, or I would have been the worst thing possible, a commodity. If you are not a brand, you are in fact a commodity. And the thing I love to scream at people is that commodities are bought for the lowest possible price. Think of it, a barrel of oil, I wanna buy that for the lowest possible price. Pork bellies, I wanna buy them for the lowest possible price. Brands are purchased at a premium. If you are a personal brand and you are recognized in your own industry or even outside your industry, you're inherently more valuable. And everything that Melanie's talking about in her book, which I'm going to hold up right here, prove it exactly how modern marketers earn trust. This is what you should be doing. Because I hear a lot of people say, and including Finn, Finn in Colorado. Finn in Colorado, I don't really do social media. I don't really have a personal brand. And I'm like, then why, why are you bothering living? Because I tell you, bad things happen to really great people. And God forbid you should ever lose your job. If you can parlay who you are, what you do, and how you do it into a personal brand that makes you more attractive, more valuable, and more engaging to other people, it's going to help benefit you. And Melanie's making it very easy for people, even agnostics in social media to say, oh, I don't have to be a Kardashian to be on Pick Your Channel. I could be like that engine cleaner guy. Or I don't know about you, but I, I've, I, I, all of a sudden on TikTok, I'm getting served up people cleaning really filthy oriental rugs. And I just sit there and watch it. 
And there's a little bit of ASMR going on, asynchronous meridian response. But it's also kind of like, can they really get that much? Holy crap, they can get dirt out of that thing? And my takeaway from that is, if I ever have a rug, I know who I'm going to. That can be you if you are out there telling your story and demonstrating it. The methodology that Melanie's talking about. Are there any specifically individual personal brands that you think of are exemplifying your methodology in a really great way? You know, I am struggling to, to remember the names, but it's something that I see on TikTok quite often. You see these folks who have built their personal brand, particularly on helping like sort of, you know, good deeds, random acts of kindness and things like that. And in many cases, they raise large amounts of money. I mean, people are sending them on Venmo or PayPal or, you know, GoFundMe, whatever. They're sending them sometimes they're raising tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they do a really good job of providing proof in the form of documenting when they're going and doing those good deeds. So people continue to feel comfortable sending a stranger, you know, $50, $10, $100 to help with these acts, you know, these acts of kindness, because they see the proof. They see that this person is not just taking all the money and renting a Lamborghini or something, you know, they're really going out there and giving away free haircuts or paying people's rent or you know, going to the grocery store and paying for, you know, a whole line of folks groceries. So they're able to see the proof. And that just creates this environment where they're able to continue to do the work that they want to do the work that they're so dedicated to, because people continue to see they are they are following through on their promise. And so I continue to trust them. I want to point to somebody I've been following her for a long time on TikTok. And I want to describe her because it's important to understand TikTok is a young person's game, right? You got to be 20. And you have to have a fantastic midriff and you have to be able to do the crazy dances, right? No, you don't. There is a PR professional who I follow religiously. Her name is Molly B. McPherson on TikTok. And she is a woman north of a certain age. I'm not going to even guess, but I'll just say a 20-something on the beach in the Bahamas. She is not. She is a PR professional public relations, and she goes on to talk about whatever the PR imbroglios of the day are. For instance, some of the recent stuff, you know, Adam Love, what's his name from Maroon 5? Levine. Adam Levine. Yeah, Adam Levine. She was all over that Adam Levine thing, the breakup of Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen, you know, and but she's doing it from the point of view of a PR professional, and she does it in a really kind of fun storytelling way. There's a little bit of PR salaciousness going on there, but there's a whole lot of PR practice being taught. So she's telling the story with enough of the celebrity gossip juice, but she's also bringing in a, in a great demonstration of how you should handle it. For example, the Johnny yeah. Depp trial with Amber Heard. Holy cow, was that a wealth of information to be gleaned by anybody who needs to know anything about crisis PR. Follow her, and I guarantee you, most of us who haven't taken a, uh, an advanced degree in PR, you're going to know more about PR and why it's valuable just by watching her TikToks. For crying out loud, I'm going to the, I'm getting a degree in public relations from the University of TikTok through the work of Professor Molly B. McPherson. Now, I don't know. Well, she does. She has mentioned that she teaches at, at colleges. I don't know if she's a professor, but to me, she is because she's proving that her value to me. So 
again, if you want to see a pro in action, who you might think, PR, how can you do PR on TikTok? Follow Molly B. McPherson, and you'll see. And I guarantee you, you're going to remember it because she uses the most powerful form of data transmission ever known in humankind, and that is storytelling. A lot of people make a big deal about storytelling, but they don't make what I think the biggest point is, and that is it conveys information and information that sticks more effectively than anything else out there. And it has since Og was telling Mog around the campfire how Schlag died during the Mastodon hunt because he put the spear in the wrong place. You gotta do both though. You know, you gotta tell that story, but you gotta back it up with quality. And that's why I am so pleased to have you on this podcast. I wanna ask you this. I have watched your personal brand do a little bit of a morphing, a little bit of a flexing. You've never lost your direction, but there was a time when you were leaning heavily into true journalism. Journalism first applied to marketing. Then you kind of slid over into the little bit more marketing first lane. But the entire time you were building the Melanie Diesel personal brand. I want to talk about that. Couple of things. One, if I go to the one shot, you'll see that Melanie's website is storyfuel.co, right down there. I have to ask you this question because my best counsel to a lot of people is if you can own your .com, get your .com. Is there a MelanieDiesel.com that you cannot own because someone else has it? You know what? I think I'm pretty sure I do own MelanieDiesel.com. I think you do. I do. Yes, it, re- you do. It, it redirects to Story Fuel. But you know what I discovered is that people don't know how to spell my last name because diesel fuel is spelled with an L and has the EI reversed. I went for, you know, I have M diesel. I've got a whole, I own more domains than I probably should. I've got like an elaborate domain game going on. I try to give something that's, that's really, you know, helpful. Depending on the context, I give out whatever URL is most fitting for that context. So I, I mean, I own the names of the books. I own yeah, my various versions of my name, Melanie Diesel, M Diesel. I own M Diesel Media. That was the name of my company when I first founded it before we rebranded Story Fuel. So yeah, I, I think domains are a $12 marketing campaign. And in most cases, a cheap domain is like 12 bucks with Google. So I've, I've bought single use domains for like events and stuff to be able to say it, Melanie at whatever the event you know, acronym is so that people can find me easily. I think it's, a, it's an underrated tactic. Well, and I I love that you're doing exactly what I do, but you're doing it smarter than me because you, I I remember, yes, I answered my own question by going, oh yeah, I typed in MelanieDiesel.com and it redirected to StoryFuel.co. So that was efficient. Me, I have the NonfictionBrand.com website, which is kind of geared more towards this stuff, but I've also got the DPKnewton.com website, which is geared more toward my speaking business because again... I I want people, I want to be able to throw up a slide at a conference that says, hey, get this free thing. As a matter of fact, I'll do it right now with you guys here. You can download free worksheets at nonfictionbrand.com slash gift. Three great worksheets that can help you begin starting your personal brand journey today. So it's it's just a lot easier to throw up on that screen, nonfictionbrand.com. And hopefully people would remember that. God forbid I threw threw up and it, believe me, it would look like vomit. DPKnewton.com. People would never, ever get that correctly. Yeah. So, 
but I haven't done what you've done, which is smart, which is just take and redirect it where you want yeah. it to go. But I'm going to sure. keep my two sites because they help me too, because one is about speaking events and all that stuff. The other one's about nonfiction brand podcast and nonfiction branding yeah. and yada, yada, ding dong. So whatever you're doing, have a strategy and a good reason for doing it. And you can see we're both doing the same thing different ways for our own reasons. So I'm going to stick with that. Anyway, so we're getting close to the end of this podcast. And Melanie, it's always such a treat to have you on. I want to give listeners an opportunity to really understand where they can possibly go to get more of that diesel fuel. Well, as we just talked about, you can head over to storyfuel.co. You see right here below, storyfuel.co. That is sort of my home base. So while I do have several sites, that's sort of the, the go-to spot. So you'll find links there for the various books, for how to work with me. You'll find resources there, free and, and some some low-priced resources as well. And all my social links. So you can find me on you know whatever platform you, you prefer. But if you can spell diesel or you write it down, you'll find me by searching. I'm very search-optimized. So whichever platform of your choice you search for me, you'll find me. Obviously, there's a reason I've had Melanie on. This is now the fifth time. I wanted to take advantage of my podcast to help leverage a friend's new book. By the way, your book's been out for about a month now. How's it doing? It's doing well. You know, we were really lucky. So the launch, as you remember, my, my first book launched just before lockdown. So that whole launch process was like, it, it was a challenge to say the least. So this has been a nice, a nice new attempt for me. And we managed to stay and like we were in the top 10,000 books at one point. We, we were number one bestseller in, in marketing for the day, number one new release in a couple categories. But we've stayed steady in the top 100,000 books for sure, you know, since launch, which might not seem like a lot, but there's like 10 million books on Amazon. So we'll, we'll take top 100K for sure. Uh, I hear you. And it, the book looks a little something like that. Prove it exactly how modern marketers earn trust by Melanie Diesel, spelled D-E-Z-I-E-L. And that's important because a lot of you are going to be listening on the podcast. Melanie, spelled like Melanie, is spelled universally, at least here in the United States and most English-speaking countries. But Diesel is spelled D-E-Z-I-E-L. And coming from D-P-K-N-U-D-T-E-N, I am very particular about spelling people's names out, especially for audio audiences. At any rate, this is the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I think you probably know that if you're listening, but I want to remind you about something, and that is that you can really do me a solid by doing what you know to do, which is like, subscribe, refer it to other people, but most of all, give it a review. And personally, I prefer an honest review. So if you think it's crappy, go ahead, give it a one-star review because I can at least learn something from that. But if you like it a lot, go ahead, hit that five-star because that really does help other people find it and I really greatly appreciate it. And I'm not kidding. If you'd like to download some free worksheets to get your personal brand journey started or your nonfiction brand methodology, kick it into gear, go to nonfictionbrand.com gift, G-I-F-T, and you can download those for free. And the truth is, while it might ask you for your email address, I never send out any emails. So just download the things. It's my gift to you. And to say thanks for listening to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Finally, once again, I got to remind you, because I know what it's like to have a book out there in the forest. If no one buys it, does it make it sound? Let's hype Melanie's new book. Prove it. It's available at Amazon.com. 
Have you, uh, just as an aside, because I know a big part of your personal brand is getting out there and speaking, has have you recovered after COVID shut everything down? Are, are things coming back? You know, it's really interesting. It's been it's been a wild ride. For some speakers, it has definitely gotten back to almost pre-COVID standards with the amount of demand they're getting. What I have found is that now that I've got a little one, which I didn't before COVID, I'm doing a lot more virtual than I would before, which I think probably all of us are. But yeah, I'm starting to starting to get back out there on the road, taking it slow for now. So once or once or twice a month, I'm I'm doing in person stuff. But the the virtual virtual train is running full steam. Well, good. And again, if you've got a group, association, or business that needs a speaker, you've just heard and met Melanie, and I can attest and give her five stars across the board. Really engaging speaker, packed. I mean, value packed. There are a lot of speakers out there who make you feel good and you think you learned something. Then half an hour later, they're like Chinese food. You're hungry again. Melanie's <laughs> not like that. She is the full Italian dinner, complete with uh, wine and cheese courses and everything else. And you'll walk away a way, way smarter than you walked in. So check her out. Again, storyfuel.co is her home. Again, that's me. I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And she is Melanie Diesel. And I'll be talking at you all again next week. Bye bye.